Good evening, church family. It's good to see you. I'm sorry I'm in uniform today. It's just one of those days. It's, uh, it's basically Navy week. So uh, it's been a long day and long week already. But I'm grateful to the Lord that we're here. Amen. Right? Every day is a blessing and a gift from the Lord. Amen? Amen. So let me uh, open us up in prayer and we'll get started. Father, we're grateful for your goodness and kindness and mercy and love towards us. Lord, it's amazing that you're mindful of us. It's amazing that you would love us in spite of who you know us to be. But we thank you for choosing us. We thank you, Lord, for giving us your one and only Son, the Lord Jesus, who lived and died for us. Help us now in our thoughts. Help us now in our hearts and minds to think intently upon your word, to give you glory in all things, because you're worthy. In Christ we pray. Amen. So we are in uh, chapter, we're in chapter 8 of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, the 1689. And I just want to say again, because I always say this, that the London Baptist Confession of Faith is not on the same level, not on the same level as the Holy Inspired Word of God. It's just a good summary of the Bible, but it's not on the same level. So tonight, we're going to be talking about Christ the Mediator uh, in two of the paragraphs in this confession. And if you want a good resource, a good resource uh, online, it's founders.org, founders, F-O-U-N-D-E-R-S, founders.org. That's a good resource uh, for any Reformed Baptist or any Christian in general. Chapter 8, yes. Chapter 8, again, is a high Christology. Christology is just a fancy word for the study of Christ and who he is and what he's done. And so when we think about Christ, we need to think about intently who he is and what he has done for us in regards to his work, his um, his earthly ministry in his life and in his death. So let me read paragraph 8.5, and you can just listen. And it says this, The Lord Jesus has fully satisfied the justice of God, obtained reconciliation, and purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those given to him by the Father. He has accomplished these things by his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he once for all offered up to God through the eternal spirit. So there are some key language or key uh, terms or verbs. It talks about Jesus as Lord, that he is fully, fully satisfied, fully satisfied the justice of God. He obtained reconciliation and he purchased an everlasting inheritance for those, all those given to him by the Father. So when we think about satisfaction, we need to think about it in terms of legal judgment. So for example, if you break the law driving down the street at 65 miles per hour in a 10 mile per hour school zone and the police catch you, guess what the judge is going to do? He's going to give you a ticket if he's nice. But what's, what happens if the police is not nice? You just catch him on the, bat, on the wrong day. 
actually might be the right day. What happens? What, what, what could the police do? Jail, right? Jail. Is that it? A fine. So jail, fine. So now we're talking about time and money. Those are the two things that most people don't have. But that's what the judge is going to require, right? So when we think of the term satisfaction in this paragraph, that means that God's wrath has to be satisfied because we have broken the law of God and therefore that wrath or that penalty must be paid in order for this judgment or justice to be satisfied. Does that make sense? So if the judge orders the defendant to pay $50,000, guess what the defendant is going to do? He's going to figure out a way to pay $50,000. And so that can happen through money, that can happen through time, that can happen through community service. We get a lot of those calls here, by the way. They say, uh, First Baptist Church is in our area. We don't have money, but this is a court-ordered, that's the key language, court-ordered community service. I need to do 100 hours. Can you help me? And Becky knows this because she knows my philosophy and style that if you're going to do community service for First Baptist Church of the Lakes, usually that's because you did something really, really bad, right? So we have what's called easy hours and hard hours. Hard hours is physical labor. We're going to say, hey, you need to cut the lawn, you need to pull weeds, you need to get the trash off the property, you need to clean certain things. There's physical labor involved. That's, those are hard hours. The easy hours is you come in here on a Sunday morning at 945 and you listen to what's being taught. And you have, you have to explain to me what you learned. And then you got to come back at 11 o'clock. You get a 15-minute break, then you come back at 11 o'clock. And then you tell me what you learned at 11 o'clock. Then you can go to have lunch, and then you come back for the corporate prayer meeting. And then you got to tell me what you learned in the corporate prayer meeting. And then you got to go to D group. So do you see what I'm doing? That's called easy hours, because there's no physical labor. You just got to strain your brain and pay attention. So this language of satisfaction, who needs to be, what needs to be satisfied? God's judgment, God's holy wrath needs to be satisfied. Reconciliation is another key term. Reconciliation is what? How would you define that? What, what images are evoked when you hear the word reconciliation? Make right with something. Okay, make right with something. Okay. So there's two parties at odds with each other, and that's biblically correct. God cannot be in the presence of sinners, and sinners who break God's law cannot enter God's holy, or holy presence unless they die, right? So somebody has to reconcile these two parties. Yes? Somebody extending forgiveness. Somebody extending forgiveness. So that's important, right? If two parties are going to come together, there has to be forgiveness. But the question for us tonight is this, how? Can we have forgiveness any old way? If I crack open a fortune cookie at Panda Express and it says, you're forgiven, do I believe that fortune cookie? Or is there something more to it? There's something a lot more to it, right? We'll get into it here in a minute. 
So satisfaction, reconciliation, and then also this paragraph says, purchased everlasting inheritance. Purchased. When we think of the word purchased, we think of money. But in the Bible, that is true. But purchase is normally you're buying someone from a slave market. And in biblical terms, that slave market is sin. Because the sinner in his natural state is enslaved to sin. And for that sinner to be free, someone has to pull out money, so to speak, and pay for this sinner or this slave so they have liberty or freedom. In biblical terms, blood is required to be free from sin. Now, whose blood are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus' blood, right? So, satisfaction, reconciliation, bringing two parties together, purchased everlasting inheritance. But then, one of the key things in this paragraph is for whom? If you were listening to that paragraph, Jesus purchased redemption of his people. If you understand what I just said, I didn't say the whole world. I didn't say every human being on planet Earth since day one. I didn't say every man, woman, and child since the beginning of time. This paragraph is very, very specific. That's why we like the 1689. It's theological, it's very specific, it's precise. It's called the elect whom Christ died for. The paragraph says all those, it doesn't say everyone, it says all those given to Jesus by the Father. All the people given to Jesus by the Father. So the Bible teaches that God the Father, before time was ever created, gave to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, a specific number of people that he would live and die for. Okay, So we're going to go into this here in a minute. I hope none of us have a problem with the term elect. The Bible uses the term elect. The Bible uses the term predestination. The Bible uses the term chosen. So if you have a problem with predestination, you're going to have a problem with biblical terms. So if, you're, if you want to write this down, this is Ephesians 3.13. Ephesians 3.13, 2 Corinthians 1.6, 2 Corinthians 1.6, 1 Peter 5.10, 1 Peter 5.10. But I want to talk about one. This is in Colossians 1.24, so please turn with me to Colossians Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 24. So this is Paul's ministry to a very specific group of people. Okay? It's the church of Colossae, or the Colossians. And it says this in Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my, my sufferings for your sake. Who is he talking to? He says, your sake. Say that again, Brother Elbert. Christians at Colossae, right? 
So he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings, that's the Apostle Paul, for your sake, talking about the Colossians, talking about genuine Christians at Colossae. It says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Who is the body of Christ? Just keep reading, right? That is the church. The ecclesia, who is the church? Does that mean the same thing as the world? Is the world, is the biblical terminology of the world the same as the church? Is that the same definition? No, right? The world is cosmos, right? The church is ecclesia. Those are two different words with two different definitions. So in Colossians chapter 1, it's a great, great book, short book. If you haven't read it in a while, I want to encourage you to read it. But this is, in this chapter, it's talking about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's talking about the preeminence of Jesus. Now, his work is not deficient in any way. So don't read this with the wrong blinders, so to speak. The work of Christ is perfect, not deficient in any way. In the context of this passage is that the church and individual Christians are called to suffer. Because Christ suffered and you follow Christ, guess what? There's coming a time where you as an individual Christian or us as a church will suffer for Christ. Okay? There's no way around that. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be what? Persecuted. That's a promise that comes from the Lord. The problem is we just don't like those type of promises. We don't like those promises of persecutions and pain. Right? So, this is talking about Jesus is the head of the body, and the body is known as the church or the elect. But this text also talks about by virtue of the resurrection. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior, right? He's resurrected from the dead, and because he's resurrected from the dead, that is proof positive that Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. He's the Lord of the universe. Jesus created the universe. This thing is a pain. So Jesus is the Lord of the universe, which was created by the Lord, right? By the Lord himself. And not only is he resurrected from the dead and he's alive, he has always sustained his universe and now he's redeeming his universe through the gospel through the gospel so the cross of jesus if we understand the cross of jesus what is the cross of jesus the purpose of the cross the cross of jesus reconciles aliens unto the lord it reconciles those who were hostile in mind and doing evil. So those that hated God, the cross of Christ, reconciles those people back to the Lord. You can switch it out if you want. You, just have to hit this. you want to just give me the hand mic? Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you, brother. Does that make sense? A lot of people think that the cross reconciled God back to mankind in one sense that's true but the emphasis is 
it was man who strayed from God because of their sin. And so the cross of Christ reconciles those who are alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds back to God himself. Why? Why would that need to be? Well, it's in order, if you keep reading this text, it's in order to present the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, as holy, blameless, and above reproach. Okay? So when we... Thank you, brother.